Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. Want to do a podcast? Actually, I think it's time we sync up with someone else. Hey, I'm Audrey Geyer, and welcome to Sync Up's Cycle Chats, a space for women to be educated, empowered, and inspired. In this episode, I'm going to teach you about nutrition for your cycle. Think of this as a behind-the-scenes look of what I teach in my private or group coaching sessions. In fact, this is the first time I've been able to get into this much detail about nutrition for your cycle on any podcast, as well as my process for truly educating and and personalizing a nutrition approach for menstruating women. I do want to give a disclaimer that this is something I spent weeks diving into. It is truly a learning process. So there is no way I will be able to cover everything that I teach in a 20 minute, give or take podcast episode, but I will give you important foundational pieces of supporting your menstrual cycle and hormones with nutrition. I'll leave you with actionable tips and what I believe will be a fresh perspective on what it means to nourish your body. I also want to add a disclaimer that in this episode, I will probably talk about diet culture and share my thoughts around some of the toxicity of the diet industry. And I may also reference disordered eating. So if that is something that is triggering for you, please use your discretion. Also, this episode is not a substitute for the advice of a doctor or a dietitian. It is for educational purposes only. With that, let's get started. Women have a unique ability to know when something just isn't quite right, when it feels off. And we also know when something really deeply resonates with us and makes us feel good. Our intuition can be a powerful guide in so many ways, especially when it comes to our bodies. However, women also face a ton of obstacles around staying connected with our bodies and actually trusting them. Things like stigma and a lack of holistic education about the menstrual cycle may have prevented you from honoring the ebbs and flows in your energy and And things like diet culture may have at times prevented you from being able to really listen to what your body needs and not feeling guilty or like you've cheated or done something bad for eating the foods that you like. Your life experience, whatever that is, and the messages that you've received about your body influence your ability to listen to it. And when it comes to nutrition and even fitness, we have another obstacle as women, which is that nearly all of the diet and fitness advice that we see that is so popular is based on research done nearly exclusively on men. But because science has seen men as the default or gold standard for so long, this research and the results that are done on men get packaged and marketed as if they're for everyone and everyone should follow this advice. In the last episode I did about energy and mood management, I mentioned that men have a different hormonal cycle. With the male hormonal cycle, men wake up every morning with peak levels of testosterone and cortisol, and those gradually taper off throughout the day. Some testosterone gets converted into estrogen. Estrogen dips in the evening, and then overnight, their hormones reset, and that process starts over again. For women, our hormones reset once a month. And not only that, but what we do during this hormonal cycle will continue to influence our cycles and how we feel for about one to four months from now. Sex hormones influence not just our fertility and 
our energy and our mood, but also our metabolism. And so a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today is the fact that for women, our metabolism follows a cyclical pattern, which means that it ebbs and flows along with the four phases of our cycle. And that includes the menstrual phase, follicular phase, ovulatory phase, and luteal phase. And that means that these diets or biohacks like intermittent fasting or low carb wouldn't always be beneficial and may actually work against your hormones in certain parts of your cycle. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I am personally very anti-diet culture. The truth is that there is no diet in existence that has ever taken the changes that women go through during their cycles into account. And the solution for this is not that women should be switching between four different extreme diets in each part of their cycles, which unfortunately is something that I have seen some other wellness professionals suggest. And while the point of this episode is not to discuss all the things that I find wrong with that, I do want to say that disordered eating is something very common among even the most knowledgeable health professionals. And I feel that as someone in the wellness space, I have a responsibility to all of the women I work with especially us as women and everything that we face with social media and in pop culture and, you know, all these different things. And I think that my responsibility is to try to do my part to yes, support health and help women be healthy, but also stop perpetuating body shame and unsustainable goals that could lead to other health problems, including poor mental health and poor emotional well-being. And as someone who has really struggled with this in the past myself, I will always, always add advocate for health that includes pleasure, that is truly balanced, and that guides women closer to themselves instead of feeling like they constantly need to look for others for answers and approval. And that is why the first thing I do with my clients on learning how to get back in touch with their bodies and to honor their hormones is to talk about their natural hunger cues and honoring what it is that their body is truly asking for with no rules, no restriction, and zero dieting. See a lot of very well-intended advice that women should just listen to their bodies. It is something I see over and over again. Listen to your body, listen to your body, just listen to your body. But for some of the reasons that I mentioned before, like stigma and diet culture, many women aren't actually able to hear the signals of their bodies until they're hungry, running on empty, sick, burned out, or injured. And it does no good to just throw a just listen to your body without clarifying exactly what that means, because otherwise we'll just swing from high highs to low lows, and we won't be able to get comfortable and to take up space in that middle area. This is a really big subject. And this piece alone is something that I would usually spend a couple weeks on doing different activities and educational practices around, but one really simple, actionable, powerful way you can start tapping into what your body is asking for and honoring your hunger cues is by using something called the hunger scale, which is an intuitive eating tool. The hunger scale is similar to a rating system. It uses numbers one through 10 to describe your level of satiety or how hungry or full you are. And it gives this easy to use framework for knowing when it's time for you to eat or maybe to stop eating and to save the rest of your meal for leftovers. So here's how it works. 
For example, at a level five, you're neither hungry nor full. So it's a neutral feeling. Whereas if you were at a level two hunger, you are hangry. And at level one, you're running on empty and maybe even feeling dizzy or unfocused. If you tend to be someone who doesn't eat until they get so hungry that they are hangry or running on empty, then you could work on checking in with yourself and noticing when it is you usually feel that way and starting to pay attention to how your body feels earlier. Maybe that involves setting some reminders on your phone or bringing some healthy, satisfying snacks with you on the go so that you can try to eat a little bit earlier to better sustain your appetite and your energy. On the other hand, if you're at a level six, then you're happily full. At a level seven, you're maybe taking some extra bites for pleasure. And there is nothing wrong with that, especially if you are really enjoying your food or maybe having some dessert. But at a level 10, you would be so stuffed that you are feeling sick and beyond bloated and you don't even want to look at food. You can actually Google hunger scale for a visual representation of how this works, as well as descriptions on all of them. But this is just a really great way to kind of check in with your body day to day and throughout the day so that you can become more familiar with those little sensations of hunger or fullness and begin to notice when your body is asking for you to fuel or nourish it. And what's really cool about this exercise is that we then get to apply the information that you are observing about your body to learn about hunger hormones. Once you've started to notice when you're hungry, when you're full, what your mood and your energy is like and how you feel in your body after nourishing it, you are actually listening in to the conversation that your hormones are having. I go really far in depth about how to listen to your body because it gives us this data. And then we are able to then interpret that and utilize it for the rest of my time with a client. But I think this is something that you can certainly apply on your own too. And it's really cool and will validate how amazing and intelligent your body really is. So let's talk about your hunger hormones. Your hunger hormones are hormones that influence your metabolism, energy, sleep-wake cycle, and a lot more. The three main ones we're going to crash course through today are ghrelin, leptin, and insulin. Ghrelin is a hormone that causes you to feel hunger. My nickname for it is the little hunger gremlin. Get it? Gremlin, ghrelin, ghrelin, gremlin. Ghrelin is made in your gut and then travels through the bloodstream to your brain to motivate you to seek out food. It also plays a major role in your sleep-wake cycle or circadian rhythm. When you feel hunger cues, when you start to feel that growl in your belly, or maybe you're not noticing those tiny growls yet and you are noticing hanger, that is really growling, growling, and letting you know that it's time to use those hunter-gatherer skills you got from your ancestors because you need to eat. Then we have leptin. So leptin is your fullness factor hormone. It's secreted by fat and muscle tissue, as well as the heart and stomach. And it travels to your brain to tell you when you're full and you should stop eating. So when you feel like you are satisfied and you are getting those signals that you don't 
don't need to eat anymore. That is leptin communicating with you. And then finally, we have insulin, which is super important. It is honestly one of the most important hormones in your body. And insulin is your blood sugar manager. It's made by the pancreas, except for some people, such as people with type one diabetes, whose pancreas may not make insulin and they may need things like injections to get this life-saving hormone. The primary role of insulin is to lower the amount of glucose in the blood because if blood sugar gets too high, that can be dangerous. And so to keep you safe, insulin acts like a key to the insulin receptors lock that is in tissue cells. So it allows glucose to come through that door and to come into fat or muscle cells. When you've had a lot of blood sugar or insulin spikes and crashes, high highs and low lows, that can make you feel really tired and lethargic. It can cause more cravings and it can contribute to things like lack of focus, acne, and a whole slew of really frustrating symptoms. I do want to say something super important though, which is that all of these hormones are on your side and working together. One of the reasons that most diets don't work is because they instruct women to ignore their hunger cues or to do things to fake out their hunger. And unfortunately, that means people are going to great lengths to try to fake out their hormones. And that can throw a lot of things out of balance. As you keep observing your body's hunger cues and you listen into that conversation that your hormones, which truly are the messengers of your body are having, here are my top three tips to start balancing those hunger hormones. These are things that you should do before anything else. They are so foundational and they are so important. And if you're not already doing them, they will make a huge impact in your energy and metabolism. Number one, eat breakfast. It sounds simple, but seriously, please eat breakfast. There are a lot of conflicting messages we get about breakfast, which seems so funny, but it's true. On one hand, we've been told it's the most important meal of the day. And on the other hand, diet culture says to fast for 16 hours a day. I am telling you to eat breakfast. It is so important for women's health and sorry, my friends, iced coffee is not breakfast. You want to make sure that your ghrelin is firing during the day when it's supposed to, because as you can remember, I just said that it has to do with your sleep wake cycle and your circadian rhythm. You want to be awake and hungry and fueling your body during the day so that you are not making up for that by doing all this snacking at night. You also want to start your day with stable blood sugar. So eating a breakfast like eggs and sweet potato, avocado on sourdough, maybe with some pumpkin seeds or some hemp seeds, or maybe a smoothie that contains not just fruit, but also includes greens, maybe a protein or a healthy fat that will set you up to feel happier and healthier and have happier, healthier hormones, which is what we all want, right? Number two, get at least seven hours of sleep. If you haven't slept well or you're jet lagged, leptin actually lowers to keep you hungrier longer and more often. If you've ever noticed that after a poor night's sleep, you're really snacking a lot and are getting kind of those munchies, it's simply because your body is trying to make up for the lack of energy. And so it adapts your hunger to meet that demand. So making sure that you're well-rested regulates the fullness factor that leptin provides. And number three, instead of cutting carbs, set boundaries. I know it sounds crazy, but hear me out. One of the number one causes of insulin resistance is actually chronically high cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Cortisol spikes your blood sugar 
by tapping into your liver's protein stores and converting it into glucose so that your body has fuel to run on to fight whatever stress you're experiencing. So that is a big reason why so many people emotionally eat. It's not because they lack willpower or they're bad people or they're doing something wrong. A lot of times it is because their body is trying to give them more fuel and your body's preferred source of fuel is glucose. So instead of cutting it out entirely, try eating a variety of healthy foods, practice some really intentional, authentic self-care and work on setting boundaries around your energy or time or communication so that you can better manage your stress. And that will actually help improve your metabolism. And no, it's not a fancy supplement or a specific food that is going to give that to you, but it is so important. And trying to throw supplements at this before addressing the lifestyle factors would be like having a leak in a pipe in your bathtub. And so you have all this water draining out of your bathtub and taking a supplement instead of trying to address the root cause of that leak would be like throwing in more water to address the water that is leaking out of the bathtub rather than just patching the hole. Sure, for a time there might be more water, but it isn't really fixing the problem. Since metabolism is your body's to turn food into either fuel, which means energy or tissue. It's important to address those lifestyle factors that play a fundamental role in your metabolic health. So we've talked about listening to your body, balancing your hunger hormones and paying attention to each phase of your menstrual cycle, or at least that's what we've been talking about in the last couple episodes. You'll notice that as you are putting these pieces together, the foods you crave, how you feel, and what you notice about your levels of hunger will change with the phases of your cycle. I want you to give yourself unconditional permission to fuel your body with a variety of healthy foods, fun foods, and good hydration. Those are all important. And unless there is a medical necessity, a food sensitivity, or an allergy, then you don't necessarily need to cut any entire food group out. And eating to support your cycle is not one size fits all. So I am going to give you a sneak peek into some of the foods that support specific phases of your cycle. There are so many, and this is something that I work on really personalizing a lot. So what you can do as you're listening to this is to start thinking about some that you like and you want to start incorporating and you can just include them into a healthy, balanced diet. This is not something that is supposed to be restrictive. It's supposed to be expansive. And yes, it works and it's absolutely incredible. So this could be a really great launching pad for you if you are on this journey and you really want to start harmonizing your hormones and having more optimal cycles and optimal energy. In the menstrual phase, when your hormones are low, your digestion is slower, you want to keep inflammation down, and you want to replenish them with iron that is being lost through menstrual blood. Zinc-rich foods are really great for lowering inflammation and fleshing out excess hormones that could still be lingering around, especially if you're somebody that deals with acne during your period or cramps or things like that. So great foods to eat might include hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, cashews, and dark chocolate. And these are so easy. And I love that they make really satisfying snacks and meals. So think about a couple of those that maybe you want to eat every day during 
during your menstrual phase. For iron, red meat and organ meats are the most bioavailable sources of hemi-iron, which means that your body doesn't have to do any extra work to be able to absorb and use that iron. But you can also eat foods like spinach, broccoli, and beetroot to increase your iron intake. And I really like these because if you are eating plant based iron, it's important to have vitamin C to help your body better absorb it since it is less bioavailable. And these also already include vitamin C. So I think that is a great way to have some good plant-based sources. Maybe you're making some stir fries or warm veggie bowls or something like that. And those are good things to eat during those three to seven days known as your menstrual phase. In the follicular phase, estrogen is beginning to rise and digestion increases. Some of the most impactful foods you can eat to support this part of your cycle and your cycle as a whole include probiotic-rich foods. So these are fermented foods that contain good, healthy bacteria, and you're eating them in a part of your cycle where your digestion can handle it really well, and it is priming the gut with this healthy bacteria and really setting your microbiome up. And just like your hormones and your endocrine system, Um, your gut microbiome and the health of your gut has a really important role on your overall body. And the two definitely go hand in hand. So think sauerkraut, kimchi, and tempeh. And I know for some of you, seems really adventurous. Personally, I love a burger with like a dill flavored sauerkraut, like a pickle. However, pickles are usually not fermented. So this is more of that pickle flavor, but you want to go for like the dill flavored sauerkraut because that is what is fermented. Or I'll do a veggie bowl with tempeh. And there's actually a really great local restaurant in my area that makes a good tempeh. So if you haven't tried it yourself and maybe you're not ready to cook it yet, maybe you can find a restaurant that has good vegetarian or vegan options so you can try it there first and then you can cook it on your own. I promise it's not hard. And another food group to include are foods with phytoestrogens. And I want to address this because there are a lot of myths about phytoestrogens. Contrary to popular belief, these do not really increase your estrogen levels. So if you are someone struggling with estrogen dominance, there is no need to be afraid of these as long as you're just having them in moderation. They can actually help regulate your estrogen receptors. So that means whether you have high or low estrogen, they can help your body and they can actually even help clear out excess estrogen once your body is done with it because they have great amounts of fiber. And so I would include things like flaxseed, tempeh, which is one that we just mentioned because it's also fermented, tofu or edamame. And those are also a really great source of plant-based protein. In the ovulatory phase, cruciferous vegetables are king, or I guess I should say queen. Veggies like kale, bok choy, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, and arugula all contain a compound called indole-3-carbonyl, which your body turns into methylene. And now it officially sounds like I'm speaking another language. Sorry, all. <laughs> but essentially, these are critical compounds that assist your liver in detoxing excess estrogen to support the healthy, optimal ebb and flow of your hormones. You're not going to be quizzed on this later. Just know they contain really amazing things. And this is a brilliant, accessible biohack that makes a huge, huge difference in reducing the amount of PMS you're going to have later. I also recommend eating omega-3 
free-rich foods, which are anti-inflammatory and really important for the health of your brain, skin, and lots of other things in your body. So eating things like salmon, tuna, shrimp, mackerel, hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds. And if you are a woman who deals with painful periods, I would suggest eating more omega-3s around your cycle, because if you are consuming more omega-3 than omega-6, that reduces the inflammatory prostaglandins that are causing those painful contractions that result in cramps and period pain. So omega-3s are absolutely life-changing. And then finally, we have have our fourth phase, which is the luteal phase. And I really like to support mood with foods that are rich in things like magnesium, B6, and tryptophan. Tryptophan is an amino acid, which is the precursor of serotonin. So it's really incredible. And you can find these good mood compounds in foods like dark chocolate, bananas, nuts, sweet potato, chickpeas, and avocado. So you have lots of yummy options here. And then I also really like to eat vitamin C rich foods because they can support healthy levels of progesterone. So think oranges, strawberries, kiwi, and then lots of veggies too, like spinach and broccoli and that sort of thing. But I really like getting those nice sweet fruits. They taste really good. They're really satisfying. They have a high water content. So lots of great benefits there. Okay. I am probably over my intended time now. Hopefully not. We'll see how this ends up, but I'm going to start wrapping this up. It was so amazing to get to tell y'all about this. I hope you found this useful and enjoyed some of these behind the scenes looks at a few of the strategies I teach when it comes to supporting your cycle for optimal health with nutrition while taking a personalized, non-restrictive, sustainable approach. If you want to learn more, I share a ton on my Instagram at Audrey S. Geyer. And if you enjoyed this, I would really love it if you either screenshot this episode or maybe take a selfie of you today listening to the episode and share it on Instagram stories and tag me at Audrey S. Geyer as well as Cycle Chats at Cycle Chats. And we would love to share that and just be able to connect with you more. I cannot wait to hear what you think and we hope you sync up with us next time.